0: This episode of Red or Dead is sponsored by Amazon Publishing and These Toxic Things by Rachel Housel Hall. Mickey Lambert creates digital scrapbooks for clients inspired by their mementos. When her latest client, Nadia Denham, a curio shop owner, dies from an apparent suicide, Mickey honors the old woman's last wish and begins curating her peculiar objet d'art, 12 in all. But when Mickey begins receiving threatening messages to leave Nadia's past alone, a mystery unfolds that Mickey is driven to solve. But discovering the truth means crossing paths with a serial killer and navigating sinister secrets of the past. One that might, Mickey fears, be inescapably entwined with her own. Read These Toxic Things by Rachel Housel-Hall. Welcome to Red or Dead, a bi-weekly podcast where we talk about the world of mysteries and thrillers. This is episode 110, and we are recording on September 5th. I'm Katie McLean Horner, along with Nezra Javed, and we are coming to you from Book Riot. Hi, Nezra.
1: How are you? Hello, Katie. It's uh, I'm good. I'm excited that it's the long weekend. Oh, God, yeah. <laughs> it, it just felt like it was time yes. for a long weekend. So, yeah, things are looking sunnier over here. How about you?
0: Well, as soon as you said that, the sun just like went behind the clouds (laughs) by my place. And now it's very dark in the office where I'm recording because I didn't turn on any lights beforehand. I'm like, oh, it's sunny. There's plenty of light.
1: You can call me the Sun Whisperer.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, once again, I am grateful that this is a podcast and not a vlog. Yes. For many reasons, but (laughs) but this would be one of them. But yeah, I am very happy that it is a long weekend. But I've got to be honest, I did not realize how quickly Labor Day weekend was coming up. And September is already looking to be extremely busy in terms of work, in terms of personal life. And when one of my coworkers mentioned, like, oh, yeah, this coming weekend is Labor Day weekend. I'm like, I'm sorry. No one asked me about this. (laughs) (laughs) No one consulted with me. (laughs) So, so, yeah, it's a little bit, it's, it kind of snuck up on me a little bit. But I have to admit that right now, while at work, Illinois has uh, very recently put a, put another mask mandate into place. That requires everyone to wear a mask indoors. And while I 100% support this and I think it's the right thing to do, I am also designated as the second in command in terms of enforcing the mask oh. rule <laughs> with patrons at my library. So a long weekend means that's three days that I don't have to worry about, about <laughs> telling people to put their masks on, which to be completely honest, most of our patrons have been very good about it. Mm-hmm. But it's still one of those things where I'm just like, oh, God, I don't want to have to do this. So I'm very much enjoying this reprieve.
1: Good. Well-deserved. <laughs> yeah. So uh, what have you been reading?
0: Um. Well, the stuff for this discussion that I will that I will talk about later, obviously. But I have been checking out some books from the library that I haven't had a chance to get to yet. But I am really excited to one of those books is Madam by Phoebe Wynn, which I think mm, I can't remember if I mentioned this one on my most anticipated of 2021 list. But it was definitely on there. The cover is gothic and fabulous. It's described as a very darkly feminist, modern, gothic suspense novel, and I'm just like, well, I just checked all my boxes. And it's about this old ancestral castle in Scotland that is this really prestigious school, but there's really dark things happening, and there's like, yeah, just all kinds of secrets, and I am just, that is exactly the mood that I am going for. So I'm hoping that I will have a chance to pick that up at some point and actually start reading it. but yeah life has gotten in the way the last couple of weeks but I do have Madam by Phoebe Wynn sitting on my shelf so what about you?
1: Uh, yeah so I was in the middle of the Sager book home before Dark but it it is very good unfortunately at what it aims to do in the sense that I was like I was terrified of my own home <laughs> and my yeah. husband had to go on a work trip so it was just me and my... Little toddler alone at home for like four days, so I had to put that book away. I could not. I could just not. But then I was, I was loving the way Ray Sager writes his books. So I picked up Final Girls on my Kindle, <laughs> and I know you've spoken highly of it. And then I have a, another friend who I think who said something that is a very in my. I know her like very closely, and in my opinion, it's a very big you know, affirmation of that book is she so she loves her sleep. And she said that I started this book at 9pm. And before when I looked up, it was 5am. And I just I hadn't looked up. And for her to say that and I think for any adult in general to say that a book kept them up to 5am is huge. So I started I just started it. And I am excited to make my way through it. I got it on my Kindle, so. I love reading thrillers on my Kindle just because I can just read it everywhere. I can, you know, hold on to it while I'm cooking, while I'm brushing my teeth. So, I am ready because <laughs> I I've been loving his writing. His it's approachable, but also it's not it's not over the top simple or it and it never like forays into, you know, maybe caricature or anything like that. It's very it's telling a story. It just sets out to do what it, you know, like what it intends to do, it does. And it's yes. just, it's just delightful to, you just you just want a good story. Sometimes, you know, you don't want flowery language and you don't want like, you don't want to peel the layers. You just want to, you just want a good story. And yep I am excited to actually finish this one because the other one I had to put on hold. But if that is your jam, you know, where you just love being scared and your family is not going anywhere for the following two weeks, go forth, pick that book up. Cause it was, it was, yeah bananas and scary yeah, so good i will pick it up at a later date though <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah no they're, they're both awesome and yeah final girls do not start that book if like right before bed or if you have to get up the next day to do something because i know people who have done that i did that and i regretted it because i was just like i need to keep reading <laughs> yep. so i am just oh i'm so excited that that it's that you're having the same experience all right um so with that do you want to go ahead give us our first sponsor and then we'll go ahead and jump into this episode absolutely
1: this episode of red or dead is sponsored in part by Del Rey books from silvia moreno garcia the best-selling author of mexican gothic comes velvet was the night a stylish noir about crime passion, and murder set against the backdrop of protest and political drama in 1970s Mexico. When the neighbor of a daydreaming secretary disappears under suspicious circumstances, she finds herself searching for the missing woman, meeting up with a lonesome gangster, and journeying deeper into Leonora's secret life of student radicals and dissidents. Read the book that Kirkus Review has called a Nora Masterpiece, available wherever books are sold. We thank Delray Books very much for sponsoring the show.
0: All right. So if you are a new listener, welcome. We are delighted that you decided to put us in your ears. If you are a longtime listener, welcome back. We're delighted that you continue to decide to put us in your ears. So as I mentioned at the top of the show, we talk about mysteries and suspense and true crime and just anything that falls under that particular umbrella. So there's a lot of stuff that's fair game for us to talk about. And this is also the part of the show where we put out a call to our listeners to let us know if you have any suggestions for upcoming episodes, just because they really help us plan a lot of episodes They've helped us out a lot in the past years. They continue to help us out. It's a great way for us to know what you, the listeners, would like to hear more of. It's a great way for us to expand our own reading horizons. So if you have any ideas or suggestions along those lines, it could be exploring a subgenre that we don't talk about much, author read-alikes. It could be talking about a movie adaptation or a piece of true crime news that's been in media recently. Just anything mysterious or suspenseful is worthy of suggestion for us. So if you have any ideas, you can shoot us an email or reach out to us via social media. We're going to have all of our contact information at the end of the show and in the show notes so you don't have to worry about jotting it down now. We just like to put out the call ahead of time, get get those creative juices flowing. And even if you don't have an idea and you just want to say hi, we love that. We love hearing from listeners. It makes us so happy. And so definitely feel free to send us a note, even if you don't have an idea for a future show. And if you enjoy this podcast, definitely leave us a review over at Apple Podcasts so that other people can find us. So with that, we'll go ahead and jump into our news segment. Not a ton happening, but there's there's a couple items we definitely wanted to highlight. Nezra, why don't you go ahead and give, in, give us uh, our first bit of news?
1: Absolutely. So... You know how much we love a good bookish crime awards. And the 2021 Anthony Awards were recently announced. The um, 2021 Anthony Awards, they're given out as Anthony's and they honor the year's best achievements in mystery and crime fiction. And this was the 36th year that the awards have been handed out. Some of the winners are beloved uh, books that we have seen, that I have... uh, I know we, uh, we highlighted some other awards as well, and these books seem to be a common factor and very well-deserved place in the spotlight. So for the best hardcover novel, we have Blacktop Wasteland by S.A. Cosby. There were some fantastic nominees, like And Now She's Gone by Rachel Housel Hall, Little Secrets by Jennifer Hillier. Then the best first novel, the award went to Winter Counts, which we've talked about multiple times. We It's a beloved read over Herod book riot the then we have the best paperback original unspeakable things by just Laurie. such fantastic there was there was a best short story category a best juvenile young adult um, best critical non-fiction work such a fantastic winner list and such a fantastic nominees list so if you know if you've already read the winners uh, there's tons of great nominees to explore and we wish a very hearty congratulations to all the winners of the anthony's very well deserved
0: yes and as always like you like you mentioned nesra so many good books in the shortlist for the awards so if you enjoy bookish awards even if they're not mystery any bookish awards yes look at the winners but look at the shortlist because you get like four or five times the number of Mm -hmm. recommended books and it's just oh i love book awards so much for that exact reason just <laughs> exactly. my my tbr just expands and just grows enormously large every time a new award shortlist or winner list is announced so mm. yeah and this and this year for the anthony awards is particularly good on my end the news item that i wanted to mention it's a big announcement both in the world of just kind of mystery fiction but also true crime. So, a lot of a lot of big mystery fans are aware that Lois Duncan, who wrote young adult suspense novels in the 70s and 80s, she wrote the the book I Know What You Did Last Summer, which the movie was very loosely based on. I I read that book in 7th grade. I loved it. And she wrote Killing Mr. Griffin, Stranger With My Face. She wrote a lot of these really, really well-known young adult suspense novels in during that time period. But in 1989, her daughter, Caitlin Arquette, was murdered. And after that, Lois Duncan stopped writing and instead focused on what happened to her daughter. And in fact, she did, she actually wrote two other books, but they were both covering the crime the first book that received the most attention was called who killed my daughter written in 1992 and then she wrote another one called one to the wolves in 2013 and the story of her daughter's murder and the what she believed were botched investigations it was covered on the show unsolved mysteries it's been you know it continually comes up in the world of true crime and cold cases unsolved cases that type of thing well, recently, within the last couple of weeks, a suspect actually confessed to the murder of her daughter, as well as a string of other crimes that happened uh, throughout the area at the time. And the person has not been charged in the crime yet, but um, he was actually one of the first people at the scene of the crime in of Lois Duncan's daughter and in the moments after it happened, but police never questioned him. His information was taken down, but they didn't actually investigate it. And Lois Duncan believed that this was one of the big mistakes that the investigation made. And so she started seeking out private help. And unfortunately, she passed away in 2016. So she so she was not around to see this. But this was really big news that this, that this person had confessed. And not only had this person confessed, but it was someone that she, be- that Lois Duncan believed through her own investigations and the, and the people that she hired to help her figure out what happened. That was one of, one of the people that was initially connected to the case. And the more, the more true crime I read, the more I realize just how much error. <laughs> and and stuff like that happens in these investigations and a lot of it is in hindsight but it's just staggering how you know how many issues happen during investigations of the of these crimes and how ma- and how many of these crimes end up being unsolved for years if they're ever solved at all because of issues in the investigation or political stuff happening and it's just it, it feels really disheartening to, to, you know, just it's almost a given at this point, like if I read a true crime book, or I watch a documentary, at some point, we're gonna find out, oh, yeah, they should have investigated that person. But I mean, I guess the good news is that they do have someone who confessed. So I'm imagining we're going to be hearing more about this in the coming weeks uh, to see if this person is actually tried. And if this person goes to trial, and so if there are more big updates in the case, we'll be sure to let you know. But that was something we definitely wanted to highlight as, as a big, big news item that came out in the last couple of weeks.
1: Yeah, and I also particularly love your point about how true crime narratives are also like a glimpse at the institutional reform that needs to take place and how investigations take place, maybe what biases are in place that have not been Looked over for the past 40, 50 years. So I think that's a fantastic point and definitely will keep you all posted. And yeah, absolutely.
0: All right. Well, let's go ahead and jump into this week's discussion, which as soon as you mentioned this, as, as Nezra, a couple weeks ago, you're like, how about we do this for this episode? I was like, yes. So today we are going to be talking about books about cults which is one that I think we've gotten a few requests from listeners over the weeks and months about doing cults or doing doing an episode about cults. So, I've been talking for a few minutes. So, Nazar, I will I will hand this one over to you. Like, why are we why do you think we are so intrigued by stories about cults?
1: Uh yeah. So, Uh, this was actually a a suggestion that a listener sent in. So thank you very much for sending in your suggestions. We love hearing from you. And like we said, they help us plan out, you know, and, and the moment I read this aloud to Katie, she was like, yes, it was a very instantaneous. (laughs) But I think, but that sort of adds on to like the discussion that we're going to have about what is it about, you know, this, these stories about cults, right? I, so I was, I was thinking about this quite a bit and for me, I think it raises two questions, right? So it's, you know, the first question is, like you said, like when you look at things in hindsight, you know how they say the hindsight is always twenty twenty, right? Like when you look at it in hindsight, you think to yourself, really? Like, how did they not see this coming? And so that's the first question. That's, that's the first thing that always just stumps me. Like how, what was, go- like who or what failed a person, you know, that they sort of like became fell victims to this or it's just that idea like of how 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 like how was this enabled you know how whatever idea the cult in question is perpetuating right how did this like how was this enabled how did this come into place how was it how was it able to attract a following how was it able to make people do the things that it made people do and then the second is always also just I think they're both like merge into the same question it's like how how did no one externally see this coming, you know? And well, as in, again, that also adds to the point of our, you know, how institutions per se, they like they sometimes, not sometimes, a lot of the times they fail these people in maybe getting the help they might need or marginalizing them. And it's, it's just, it's fascinating, but in a very bleak way, but it's, I think it's just fascinating to try and understand, you know, to get in the heads, to hear these people's stories of what what was it that made them become a part of whatever you know, whatever cult is in question, whatever community we're talking about. So I think that's for my end. That's the that's the, that's what I came up with in my introspection of why we f- find these narratives or lingering appeal of this idea of you know, oh, it's a cult, or or, or how. How sometimes when we feel excluded from something, we always, you know, uh, 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 not in like not literally, but we sometimes, you know, describe something as, oh, you know, it's a very cultist way of doing things, or it's it just, I don't know, it just like feeds into that, you know, sense of just fascination and how we deal with being excluded and how we are protected of where the whatever group we are included in. So, yeah, I've been rambling on quite a bit, but it just like, <laughs> it just fascinates me, but that's what I came up with
0: <laughs> yeah i I totally agree, and for me when i mean i I agree with like pretty much everything that that you just said for me i I'm also, I'm the type of person that I like to feel like I am very much in control of my life, my decisions, you know, I, you know, I don't like to think that I'm being swayed by other people, even though I know that I totally am in different, in different elements, but I like to think for the most part that I, you know, I make my decisions on my own, that I, you know, employ rational thought whenever I can, that kind of thing. But what, for me, one of the most darkly fascinating and also terrifying things about this is that I feel like there are a lot of people who, you know, they may get caught up in a community or a cult, and their friends and family, the people who knew them, they would say, we never would have expected that they would that they would fall prey to this type of thinking. And while I don't have any people in my life that actually have joined up with a cult, I have had people in my life who became involved with with individual people who made or convinced them to do and believe things that just were not. I never would have expected it from them, you know. It's really terrifying that with the right mindset or with with a particular mindset, a one person can exact that much influence and control over someone else and because I have seen that when a couple of people who are very close to me in my life, it's really terrifying because you're because it's like, oh my gosh, if this could happen to them, it could happen to anyone That's one of the things that I've one of the things that's always drawn me to these types of stories, like you said, is what type of person is able to command that much that much influence and can command that much power over one person, let alone an entire group of people like there's so much psychology at play, and it it's just mind boggling and i will put out this this uh general <laughs> trigger warning we haven't really gone into it too much but at least for the books that i'm going to be talking about there are defi- there's definitely going to be discussion about abusive relationships emotional abuse sexual violence unfortunately these these topics come into play a lot with cults because there's such a strong element of control. So I wanted to just kind of do a general trigger warning at the beginning at the beginning of this discussion for anyone who might be bothered by, by discussions of those topics. All right. And then before we jump into the discussion, and Nezra, I definitely want you to go first because I'm very interested to hear about your first pick. I have our second sponsor. So, our second sponsor for this episode is Constance by Matthew Fitzsimmons, which is published by Amazon Publishing. A breakthrough in human cloning becomes one woman's waking nightmare. After a routine monthly upload of her consciousness, something goes terribly wrong for Constance, Con Darcy. When Con wakes up in the clinic, it's 18 months later, and her recent memories are missing. She's also told a shocking truth. Her original is dead and she is the clone. To uncover the truth, Khan is retracing the last days she can recall, crossing paths with a detective who is just as curious as she is. Because only one thing has become clear. Khan is being marked for murder all over again. So Matthew Fitzsimmons is the best-selling author of the Gibson Vaughn series, and Constance is the first thriller in a new series. So if you're looking for a new series to dive into, you might want to consider Constance by Matthew Fitzsimmons, which is published by Amazon Publishing, and we thank them very much for sponsoring this episode.
1: All right. So I realized that both my picks, they are fiction. They don't focus on it in a way that a nonfiction narrative might, you know, breaking down the cult, what. what what its message was but these are they're more of it's an implied idea around which the fictitious narrative is built. I'll get into that more and discuss the book more. But my first pick is The Girls by Emma Klein and then the first, the, when we as soon as we decided this topic, I immediately picked this book. And I thought, this might be too odd. Like because when this book came out, this was this book was everywhere. And I, it has taken me, I think when was this release? It, it has taken me from then till now to actually read this book. And I did this on audio. And I would recommend the audio book. It is absolutely exceptional. And what I was talking about, you know, about Katie, what Katie was also talking about, how about how, you know, just trying to get into the mind of, the person who gets influence and the person who influences right like how how are they able to command that level of commitment or just following from someone and this book in my opinion it breaks that down for you in the subtlest of ways so This book is set in Northern California during the time of the Manson murders, and they're never explicitly mentioned here. So even in her conversations, uh, Emma Klein, what she's trying to show in this book is how, one, our main protagonist, Evie, uh, she is a young, you know, influenceable teenager, and how she's trying to get into the mind of all the people who were influenced by, you know, Charles Manson and the events that followed the famous Manson murders and just the violence that follow that was associated with that group, with that cult. Uh, and what Emma Klein set out to do, and which I think she does accomplish in this novel is she tries to get in the mind of just one through the eyes, Evie's eyes. So the story starts out in, you know, at the end of 1960, we have Evie, she's just playing in a park and then she becomes mesmerized by this person, Suzanne, who is an older girl. Uh, she's charismatic and like she's charismatic in every way, and it's just Evie just becomes fascinated by her. And this is sort of where Emma uh, Klein sort of just like hooks you with what she's trying to accomplish. So the relation between Evie and Suzanne is very much about, you know, in like the influencer and the influence that like Evie will follow Suzanne. Anywhere, And then slowly we see how a Suzanne is, you know, sweet and she's sort of just guiding Evie along like a big sister. And then how very suddenly, you know, it changes how the more distance Evie gets from her regular life and how Suzanne is able to give her this sense. Because as teenagers, I feel we're all feeling out of place, right? We're all feeling out of place. We're all feeling like we don't belong in whatever place we have been placed in so we're we're looking that for that place to belong and the way that Suzanne is able to give her that idea of you know like this is where you belong you belong with me you belong next to me and the more distance Evie gets from her actual life her actual family her actual circumstances, her obsession intensifies with Suzanne to the extent that she will do anything that Suzanne asks her to do and this is sort of where you get closer and closer. To the climax to understanding that just the consequences this sort of relationship has or this sort of relationship dynamic has. And then the reason I wanted to mention it over here is because it, it never it never outright mentions, right? It's it's just set around that time frame. It's implied, but it's never outright mentioned. But that's enough. Like when you read this book, that is enough for you to sort of get in the mindset in a way that I feel like. Fiction accomplishes so well. And I think we've spoken about this before as well that fiction is able to add context to something which gets lost in nonfiction or just, you know, in the straightforward newspapers or journalist articles that you might see. So fiction is able to sort of fill in the blanks or color this between the spaces. And this book does that so well. And I definitely wanted to mention this here because. It like That is the intent that Emma Klein had behind this. If you go and look at her interviews, they're fascinating as well. I would definitely recommend listening to those in conjunction with this book. It was a fantastic glimpse and it answered my question, well, partially of like, how? How could this, you know, how could the person being influenced let this happen? And you realize how, how, just how it can happen. And yeah, it was it was a fantastic read. I recommend it on audio. And that's The Girls by Emma Klein.
0: Yeah, I've had that on my list. Yeah, sin- basically since it came <laughs> out. But I hadn't actually dove into it yet, because I knew it was more of a literary read. It wasn't explicitly about Charles Manson. And so I was like, well, you know, I don't know, you know, Sometimes, depending on what the topic matter is, sometimes I don't want, I'm not looking for a super subtle read, but hearing you talk about it, I'm like, okay, I think I, I think that'd be a good one for me to pick next time I'm looking for a good audio audiobook to listen to. So for my first pick, I'm going to jump into nonfiction and... The book that I started reading is Don't Call It a Cult, The Shocking Story of Keith Raniere and the Women of Nexium by Sarah Berman. And this book came out earlier, I think this year. It, it was either late last year or early this year. So it's a very new book. And if the name Nexium or Keith Raniere is kind of ringing a bell, but you're like, mm, I'm not sure. This one has has been in the news a fair amount over the last couple of years specifically because the actress Allison Mack, who was on Smallville, was one of the women who was a part of this cult. And she has faced legal charges for really up for some very, some very disturbing charges. And again, I'm gonna reissue the, the general trigger warning. What I knew about nexium going into this book was basically what i had skimmed in the news that there were some high profile people that were a part of this cult that a a lot of this was around women who were being held against their will for sexual reasons that there were women high-ranking women in the cult that were responsible for bringing other women into the cult and subjecting them to these practices. I mean, just really horrific stuff. What I did not realize was that this whole Nexium thing, like that's what, that's most of what people know right now. It started off as like a combination of, it started off with not only the kind of really predatory sexual relations that Keith Raniere would have with these vulnerable women. But it was also part multi-level marketing, scam, business, part Scientology, self-help, pseudo-religion. Like, not even kidding. Like, this isn't just one, you know, like, Oh, yeah, you know, it's focused on, on really, you know, really disturbing predatory sexual practices. It's like, there's that, plus the, the shady business aspect of it where they're just running through all kinds of money that they, that they are coercing out of their followers, plus elements that are very strongly, uh, tied to Scientology and L. Ron Hubbard. And I was just like, oh my gosh, this thing is like, this thing is a cult on so many levels. And so, I have to say, I have not finished the book yet. Like I said, life has gotten in the way the last couple of weeks. I'm, a, I'm not quite halfway through it, but I'm getting there. This book is fascinating. And what I really like about it is that even though it's talking about something that has been in the news very, very recently, it's not a scandalous tell-all, like, let's rush this to publication kind of thing. This is a very, very well-researched, Book. It is, you know, it's very detailed. You can tell how much work went into kind of putting the story together because, in some form or another, this Keith Raniere and his cult or community or whatever has it has existed since the early nineties in some form or another, and. It's just mind-boggling to see it in its different iterations and how he's able to get these these people, most of them women, how he's able to, to get them into within his sphere of influence and how he's able to coerce them into doing things like giving him millions and millions of dollars for these fundraising things, how he's able to coerce them into sexual relationships that they're not comfortable with. You find out that he's ha- that he has multiple girlfriends, but not all of them know about each other. And like when he when he has when he finds a new girlfriend, he keeps the fact that he's dating other women from this other from this new woman. And it's just like I mean, if a book could be filled with red flags <laughs> instead of words, this book would just be filled with red flags. And it again, it's it it just goes into the question like, oh my god, how you know, how did this happen? And like I said, I'm not, I'm almost halfway through the book. So there's, I mean, there's still a lot, there's still a lot of stuff to uncover. But if you are looking for a very even keeled, well researched nonfiction book about cults that doesn't dive into the sensationalism, it just, you know, reports it. This is a really, really good book. And again, that's called Don't Call It a Cult, The Shocking Story of Keith Raniere and the Women of Nexium by Sarah Berman.
1: Oh, that sounds fascinating, honestly, but and horrifying. And ho- and horrifying in the sense that I, uh, there's another, there's when you were describing the book. There's another one by Lawrence Wright. It's called Going Clear that does mm-hmm. a similar, I wouldn't say expose, but it just, it does a very, objective look into how, you know, the Church of Scientology came about. And I was just getting, it, it's also, it's brilliant. It's it's in a way that it does not aim to influence your opinion. But when you're reading it, you say, oh, oh, oh. But so. <laughs> yeah, so I,
0: have, I haven't read that one, but I've read another similar book about, I've read a couple of um, books about Scientology. And yeah, it very much has a similar feel to it.
1: Yeah, that like I was adding it while you were speaking about <laughs> it. Uh, so yeah, that sounds that sounds right along my alley. So my next book is "It's the Night We Burn" by S.F. Gosa. So this book came onto my radar when I was reading this crime ar- crime reads article by the author themselves, and they were talking about how their profession has helped them write. They were writing from a perspective of, you know, someone who has that psychological, who's had experience working with, you know, like helping people through their psychological questions, psychological concerns, and this, and they speak about how it has helped them write their characters better. So that's something that put them on my radar, and then I immediately, as soon as I read the premise of this book, and this, this was a book that came onto my radar the day that we both had finalized this topic. I immediately got it on my Kindle. Um, one of my Goodreads friends had read it. They had given it a fantastic uh, review. And then I'm, this is a book that I'm actually in the middle of. It's a psychological thriller and it talks about our main character is Dora. And so this is not, a, this is not based around a famous or a, it's not based in reality, but it does a fantastic job of uh, showing how like the leftover remnants of uh, of what these people of what the followers of a cult go through once they extricate themselves from this situation who are fortunate enough to you know actually walk away and but also but how like the drama that they go through and how they how it's something that's it's just it just never leaves them and so our main character in this story is Dora, who is a fact-checker for an online magazine, and she's trying to make her own reality, like, just make make it in the world. But what, when a murder crops up in her old town, that, that is linked to a cult, and that is very similar to one that happened 20 years ago, all of a sudden she decides that she has to face her past, she has to do something about it, because this was a, this was similar to a murder that happened 20 years ago, and she knows exactly what the police missed and uh, she knows that she has to stop it now. Otherwise these will, this will keep happening. What's interesting about this is it's like, I have just told you the synopsis and you think, you know, where the story will go, but it's just, it's twisted. And uh, it, ha- it has a little bit of the Gillian Flynn field where you get that, gl- you get that very sharp insight. So it's, Sharp insight into what the character is thinking. That for a moment you're almost taken aback that someone could have such candid thoughts, but uh, or like you're getting exposed to such candid thoughts of someone else, and uh, it's fascinating. And it's fascinating to see how how the how our main uh, character Dora is able to you know how she's navigating through the challenges of reconciling her past, but at the same time trying to keep a distance from it so that it doesn't completely wreck her, and. The reason I wanted to mention it here is because it's fast. It's a fast-paced read. It's twisty, it's dirty, but also at the same time, it's very insightful and very telling of just sort of psychological effect that often gets glazed over in the larger narrative about. Who, what, when? But it, at the individual level, that's, um, that we like miss out on. So again, uh, it seems like today my mission is to you know fill in that context with my picks. But uh, yeah, this was a fantastic one. Um, again, it's fine. It's the night we burn by S.F. Gosa.
0: Yeah, I have never heard of the book or the author. So when you're talking about this, I'm like, oh, this sounds really interesting. So I'm probably going to add that one to my Goodreads list too. So my second pick is a fictional pick. It's called Black Widows by Kate Quinn. And that is Kate with a C, not Kate with a K, because Kate with a K Quinn is a different author who wrote, like, the Alice Network, and she's known for writing historical fiction. Not the same author. So Black Widows is, I'm, again, I'm about the same length through the book that I was with my first one so I'm not quite halfway through but I'm getting there. So I want to just say outright that I'm not sure exactly how the book ends and there are certain elements that I want to I, I want I want to see how the book ends so that I can be sure of certain things that I'm that I'm saying about the book. The general premise is that It follows a polygamous family in Utah who live out in the middle of nowhere in the desert. Like, they're literally 100 miles from another person in any direction. And so you have Blake, who is the husband, and then he has three wives. There's Rachel, there's Tina, and there's Emily. And at the beginning of the book we find out that Blake has been found dead, and they say that his wife killed him, but which one was it? And the story is told seemingly entirely from the viewpoints of the three women, the three wives. So I think that that's a really interesting way of doing it, because each of the women is very different they have different personalities different psychologies and all three of them are keeping are keeping secrets as is the case in most psychological suspense novels but there's a undercurrent not only of kind of a cultish group just with with these four people you learn through bits and pieces of how blake how he treated his wives, some of them he treated differently. You have you have some competing viewpoints, so you're not quite sure what the truth is, but it really seems to point towards a very repressive, controlling relationship in general for all three of the women. And then you also find out that one of the characters has a past where she was born into a a cult of a... A, a polygamous cult, basically. So, the, all of these things obviously come into play. There's a lot, you have no idea what the truth is. You have no idea what's actually happening. There's a lot of information about Mormonism and uh, the Church of the Latter day Saints and how the mainstream Latter day Saints really are trying to separate themselves from. The people who practice polygamy and all of this other stuff. So there's a conflict with that. Um, but there's also, you know, other elements of Mormon culture that come up. And without, I mean, I am that that is not part of my background. So I can't attest to how it's portrayed or like how much of it is accurate, how much of it might be construed a different way. So that is one area that I want that I want to mention that. There may be some stuff played up a little bit for sensationalism, but from what I know about that whole general background, it seems to be pretty consistent, but I just wanted to give that caveat. Another caveat, and this is where I really want to make sure, I want to know where it goes at the end, so I'll report back on this book in our next episode. There are some mentions of, there's some potentially problematic treatment of people with mental illness, specifically that people with mental illness are being accused of being violent towards another person, which, as a lot of us know by now, that is not usually the case. People with mental illnesses are usually the victims of violence, not the perpetrators. So I I just kind of want to see where that goes before I, before I say one way or the other. Um, what I have found with this book so far, it is a very fast-paced read, very compelling, and I have no idea how it's going to turn out. And so I am excited to get to the end just to see how everything plays out. And so I can evaluate the book as a whole. But again, this book is called Black Widows by Kate Quinn. And that is Kate with a C. (laughs)
1: Alrighty, I think Katie and I could go on for a while. But those are our picks for today. If you have any that you would that you definitely want us to shout out about, read ourselves, get our you know talk to us about uh, feel free to reach reach out tell us more about them. We'd love to hear from you. And with that, let's move on to some new releases we're excited to talk about. Katie, do you want to go ahead and give your first uh, pick for the new releases?
0: Yes. Um, so this book has already uh, was was published on August thirty first, So it is already out uh, for you to pick up. It is My Heart is a Chainsaw by Stephen Graham Jones. And this book follows Jade Daniels, who is an angry half Indian outcast with an abusive father, absent mother, an entire town that wants nothing to do with her. She lives in her own world, a world in which protection comes from an unusual source horror movies. Hey, especially the ones where a mass killer seeks revenge on a world that wronged them. And Jade narrates the quirky history of Proofrock as if it is one of those movies. But when blood actually starts to spill, she pulls us into her dizzying encyclopedic mind of blood and mass murderers and predicts exactly how the plot will unfold. Yet, even as Jade drags us into her dark fever dream, a surprising and intimate portrait emerges. A portrait of the scared and traumatized little girl beneath the Jason Voorhees mask. Angry, yes, but also a girl who easily cries, fiercely loves, and desperately wants a home. A girl whose feelings are far too big for her body. So this book is definitely more on the horror end of the spectrum, but if you are a fan of slasher movies, final girl tropes, anything along those lines. All of the readers who have read this book so far say that this hits all of those buttons. So again, that is My Heart is a Chainsaw by Stephen Graham Jones.
1: All right. And for uh, my next pick, I have Harlem Shuffle by Carlton Whitehead, which is coming out on September 14th. So by the time you're hearing this, you'll still have a bit of a wait ahead of you. Uh, But I definitely wanted to mention this ahead of time. So everyone mark your calendars, because if you're not familiar, Colton Whitehead has such fantastic range. He has written humorous memoirs. He's written satire. Then he's written very harrowing narratives about, you know, historical fiction narratives that have won the Pulitzer twice, I believe. And then this latest release of his takes us to Harlem and it has very blacktop baseline vibes. I'll already tell you that. But it talks about uh, our main protagonist, Ray Carney, who to his customers and neighbors on 125th Street is an upstanding salesman of reasonably priced furniture. Few people, however, know that he... Has a history. He ha- he comes from a history of the of people who have been engaged in crime here and there. And he so when his cousin Freddie, every now and then he drops off the odd ring or necklace. Uh, Ray doesn't ask where it comes from. He knows better not to ask. But then Freddie falls in with a crew who plan to rob the hotel Teresa, the Waldorf of Harlem, and volunteers Ray's services as the defense. The heist doesn't go as planned, and now Ray finds himself amidst uh, a group, a group of cops, gangsters, uh, and a crowd that may not have his best interest at heart. And so we begin; it begins the uh, tussle that Ray feels between his past and his facade that he wants to keep up about being this upstanding citizen who just sells furniture. So, if you uh, are if you've read Whitehead before, or if you have not read him before, this is something definitely that you want to keep on your radar. All of all of the people who I know who have read Galleys already have given it high, high praise, and I personally cannot wait as well. So that's Harlem Shuffle by Colson Whitehead. And with that, that's our show. Thank you so much for, to everyone for listening. Thank you so much to our wonderful sound editor, Jen Zing, who always makes us sound great. For show notes, you can head over to bookride.com listen. For more book recommendations and bookish goodness, head over to bookriot.com and don't forget to check out our full stable of podcasts at bookriot.com slash listen or just search bookriot on your podcast player of choice. If you want to send us an email with feedback or show suggestions, you can reach us at dead at bookriot.com. Otherwise, you can find me on Twitter at Javed Nasra. That's J-A-V-E-D-N-U-S-R-A-H.
0: And you can find me on Twitter at kt underscore library lady. And we'll talk to you next time.